Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Sober Confessions. In this episode, I absolutely am honored to sit down with one of the most remarkable queens I have met in a very long time, Miss Rabia Muhammad. When you guys hear her story, you're literally going to be blown away. She's a woman who has turned her life totally around. Today, she is a professional chef, catering many events around the world. But prior to that, she was absolutely thrown into adulthood and responsibility and caring for her siblings. And with that kind of responsibility, unprepared, she found herself masking her pain with cocaine and alcohol use abuse, and just really trying to navigate her life. And it just took over. And so as you hear this story, as you hear her unpack and really share in detail the things that her life, the changes that her life uh, really went through, I'm telling you, it is mind-blowing. It really is. I literally was in awe after hearing how she was able to pull herself up, of course, with God's help, to hear everything that she speaks, you know it's nothing but the grace of God that she is alive, breathing, and doing life the way God has intended her. I cannot wait for you to hear this because this this episode is going to give you so much hope. It's going to help you understand just how much God favors us, just how low God will go to get us in the valley. And I'm telling you, what he does for one, he will do for another. So let's jump right into this episode so you guys can hear Rabia Muhammad's story. Welcome to Sober Confessions with your host, Connie McMillan. I am a sober Christian coach, as well as an author and speaker. Here on Sober Confessions, we help women who use alcohol to mask their pain and shame so that they can use what God has originally given them. So in other words, so they can take their pain and turn it into purpose. You will get tools and strategies from myself as well as guests that I am honored to interview around the globe. New podcasts will be released every single Thursday, so be sure to tune in. Make sure you follow and subscribe and like this podcast because your life is attached to destiny. Now let's get to work with this healing so that you can begin to turn your pain into purpose. Welcome back to another episode of Sober Confessions of a Christian woman who no longer drinks alcohol and no longer masks their pain with alcohol. I am super excited, you guys, to have our first guest for this new 
brand and rebrand, I should say, of the podcast. And this amazing queen, I've been following her on social media for a number of years. And I didn't even get her last name, so she's going to kill me. But she'll fully introduce her and herself. She'll give her full name. But Rivia is a chef. She's a mom. And she is actually on her recovery journey nine years as of, yeah. I believe, recently. So I'm super yes. grateful just to have her here, you guys. I bring on guests as often as possible for you to see what's possible in your life and recovery and so that you can make the same changes uh, for your life. So give yourself the full introduction because I didn't think to ask you your last name like a dodo, but <laughs> let the people know your full name. You got it. You covered it mostly. My name is Rabia Muhammad. Um, I'm a chef by profession. I'm a mom. I'm a recovering addict and alcohol user. Um, I'm, I own my own catering company. Um, I'm a sister, I'm a friend, I'm all those things. I could not be in active addiction. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love that you said that. And, you know, the point here is that we need to see what's possible for ourselves. As I stated, um, in addiction, as you said, you know, there's so much that keeps us bound, right? It's not yeah. just our self-confidence. It's not just the, the brain fog that we get when we're under the influence and, you know, just all the craziness that comes with it. But right. super proud of where you are today. But of course, I want the listeners to know where you came from. Like, what was that mm -hmm. life like when you were out there? You, you mentioned addict and you said, you know, uh, abuser of alcohol. So what does that mean? First of all, is it, was it just alcohol? Was it alcohol and drugs? And mm -hmm. if it was, uh, explain what life was like for you um, when you were out there experiencing and, and masking your your pain. Right. Um, well, it, it it started with alcohol. Alcohol was, was I guess, what you call my gateway. Mm -hmm. um, it, it became a, a huge part of my life actually in college. Um, the college lifestyle, you know, um, you drink, you go out to bars all the time with your with your comrades. Mm -hmm. And it got to the point, though, where everyone else could wake up and go on with their day. And it turned into binges for me. Mm. Um, so I was always the last person at the party, the straggler. Um, and then when my father died, uh, right around the time I graduated from college, it really uh, went into overdrive, um, dealing with the pain from losing him, um, having to raise my siblings um, at, at 20 years old um, wow. didn't help. Um, so all of those things, you know, I tried to cover up the pain, tried to, um, you know, be social, trying to, trying to handle, you know, all those emotions, you know, I used alcohol as a, as a, as a crutch mm -hmm. for all of that. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, and it actually, it, it actually was just a party, you know, type of, uh, thing, a social thing for a long time. Yeah. And as you all know, you know, alcoholism, it's, uh, it's progressive. Yeah. So it got to the point maybe, um, probably about maybe, 10 years into my, to, to my, uh, my alcohol use, um, it was something that I was doing alone. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I wasn't at parties. I wasn't uh, socializing with my friends. I was crying mm -hmm. and I was angry and I was fighting people. It wasn't a party anymore. Mm. Uh, and uh, one of the big things, uh, one of the things that, that carried over from college was, um, you know, cocaine, um, doing uh, powder, cocaine, blow. Mm -hmm. um, so every time I start, every time I would drink, you know, if somebody had some or if we could get our hands on some, I'd, I'd do that. Um, it, it started to be, it was never just alcohol alone. It was always that at the end of it. All right, um, let I me let me stop you for that. Without, I couldn't do the cocaine by itself, but mm. it always accompanied the alcohol. Uh, something something chemically about it. I think it was a being an upper and a downer, mm -hmm. trying to find some balance in between, some mm -hmm. type of chemical balance in between. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's something I learned later on, but that's what it that's what it was. Right. So uh, it robbed me, um, as it does most people. Um, but it robbed me of my creativity. It robbed me of my drive, of my ambition. Um, it almost, it robbed me of motherhood. Mm. Um, it robbed me of being a great big sister to my younger siblings that had, didn't have parents either. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it robbed me of my relationship with my daughter's father. What could have been you know, marriage and family and all those things. So yeah. um, it takes a lot from you. Yeah. But you decide to stop, you get everything back yeah. tenfold. Mm -hmm. That's a problem. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and it comes back fast. God puts it right back in your life. As yeah. soon as he knows that you're done with it, mm -hmm. you get everything back. Mm -hmm. Your creativity, your your drive, your, intel your intellect, um, and, but you have to be very aware that you are super lucky and super blessed because a lot of people during that long of an addiction lost their minds. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. They lost their minds. We all been to the brink of losing our minds, but we, we came back, mm -hmm. you know, God allowed us to come back mm -hmm. and with our full faculties. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of people didn't and a lot of people died. A lot of people lost their lives behind this in one way or another. I agree. Um, I definitely agree. Uh, you, you said a few things that I definitely want to dive into, but I think the most recent thing was what we get it back. I believe that you don't really lose it. I just believe that it's, it's, it's like, it's buried, right? Just like yes. the, the pain that you're burying, it's buried, right? It's not, mm -hmm. you don't, you know, you're not able to tap into it because you're covering it up with another substance. So yeah. I believe that, yes, yeah. you do. It does. It does unfold stronger because you're in a whole different space, right? You're not in this whole masking space anymore. So you're mm -hmm. able to, like you said, you, it does come back quickly. Yeah. You, definitely your <laughs> blessings are aligned. I don't want anybody to think that, oh, you know, uh, because I'm living this lifestyle because I'm sick, right? Um, that, yeah my life is doomed and that, you know, I can't get through this or I, there's nothing waiting for me on the other side. Let me say it like that. Right. There is, there is, it's a process also, It's right. but, um, it's right. you mentioned that. Um, and I love that you mentioned this, like it's a progressive, like with the alcohol, it, it absolutely is. Our stories are very, very similar. 
I oh, yeah. too, I, I drank for a very long time. I always say like 10 plus years, but it was like 15 mm -hmm. years. And yeah. yeah, you don't start drinking like, cause it tastes good. I don't care how much pineapple juice you add to it. Exactly, <laughs> you're, no. you're not drinking because of that. You're, you're drinking, drinking for the feeling. Yes, yes. yes. Right, the feeling mm -hmm. to, feel, to, to fit in, the feeling to mm -hmm. ignore the pain, the feeling to, you know, just, be included whatever it's, yes. it's something it's yes. some reason why you're doing it relaxation <laughs> whatever it is there's some feeling but not understanding that yes there's some people who can drink but then there if you have if you are already prone you yourself or your family yes. bloodline are prone to have addictive oh, yes. habits addictive addiction in their family and i don't just mean with alcohol per se because you can have an addictive personality oh, yeah. then that gets turned on so it's like yeah. you've got to understand you know you may not you know just discover it you may go oh, i got it under control and before you know it, this substance has got you so yeah mm -hmm. yeah and so even with you mentioning that you know you were kind of just thrown into that situation to become a a parent slash guardian slash sibling like that's a lot that's a lot to deal yeah. with so i yes. can totally understand why you were searching for an outlet searching for something to escape uh, yeah. a situation that one you weren't prepared for two you just literally was like what how right. do we do this like <laughs> now i have to take mm -hmm. on it's like your life becomes you're on pause because now you have to jump into this different role yes yeah so that was a big that was a huge um um a, a part, part that propelled it i think yeah. into the next level yeah yeah I guess but yeah i mean of course like you said there's other there's other factors too that are you know genetic and you know all, and all of those things like my my grandfather was uh on both sides of my family mm. um these are things you learn later as you start to realize these things about yourself um, and start on that, that road to sobriety, these are the things you start to notice. My uncle had an alcohol problem. My, my both both grandfathers. Um, and that's why I tell my daughter, I'm, I say, you know, listen, you're, you're, you're prone to alcoholism on both sides of the family. So on your father's side and on my side. So I, I don't know. I don't think that you'll be a normal drinker. I don't. I just don't. So I wouldn't start. Yeah, you know, yeah. start if I was you when you know when all your friends start drinking when they're twenty one, you guys are in you know in college or younger than that because we all know it starts younger than that. Yeah, um, you might not be the person that can do it. You might be the person that blacks out. Yeah, yeah. You know, I commend and, you for saying that to her though. You know, not enough parents. What mine didn't. My mom didn't have that kind of conversation with me, and I don't. I don't think it's because. You know, we, we, I grew up in the era where do as I say, not as I do. So right. I think really that's why I shouldn't right. have that. It was just like, I'm wrong. I can do what I want. Right. You better not do it. You know? <laughs> so I think that's why that conversation never really took place, but I always kind of mm -hmm. reflect on, you know, I was 40. I remember that's like my mom's first time seeing me drunk. And I mean, I had, I had been drunk many days, but she just never, right, right. Right? I, I, right. I just hit it real well. And I was so pissy drunk. Oh my God. I was celebrating my 40th birthday. I, I was a funky mess. And, um, and I know this cause of what my girlfriends that celebrated with me, they told me, cause I don't really yeah. remember. Um, <laughs> yes. 
And it, it was really, it was embarrassing. But I also yeah. kind of look back and I never, you know, there's no digs in my mom, you know, because like you, she lost her parent, her mom at a very young age and had to raise her siblings as well. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine alcohol was a masking tool for her as well. Oh, um, yeah. Although a phenomenal mother, and I always make sure I stress that. But right. I, I think at that moment when she saw her second daughter now reacting to alcohol, because she had already seen my sister reacting to alcohol. Really? And now, oh yeah, oh yeah, we both had. And now seeing me, uh, I think it really opened her eyes in a sense of, oh my God, like I, I, I just really believe that that thought pops in your head. Just like what you said, you, you made that statement to your daughter. Mm -hmm. You can only make that statement to your daughter because you know, as you said, the history of your family mm -hmm. and you know your own story. So you now... Okay, I better make this. She gonna do what she want to do, but I better. Yeah, I better see something. It's very clear that yes. this. Yes, you, you might. This might not end well for you. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just again, I just really appreciate you saying that. Okay, so let's let's continue on. Now <laughs> you are. It has now you've incorporated cocaine into your uh, your lifestyle, and so how do you get to this point where you say? This ain't working for me. I do have siblings that I need to check for. I do have things that I need to do for my life. Well, it was long after that. It was long after um, the siblings, uh, you know, ended up started moving out on their own and, and starting their own lives. Um, uh, my party went on for, uh, it went on until I, I didn't get sober until I was 37. Wow. Uh, so my daughter had been born. I, I, I stopped during the pregnancy. Um, so I knew it could be done. Mm -hmm. I, I stopped during, you know, when, and, and I tried to do the family thing with her dad. And um, this is one thing they tell you, they don't tell you until, you until you're in recovery, until you're actually in a rehab. You don't really learn this until you're in rehab, until you're in, you know, you're, your, your groups with, with other sober, other other recover, recovering addicts. But family doesn't stop the addiction. Having children doesn't stop the addiction. Mm. Having a job, these external things outside of yourself, none of it stops you from being an addict or being, or, or, or being an alcoholic. It doesn't. You think it will, mm. but it doesn't. Um, so after she was born, um, I think I stayed sober for until I stopped breastfeeding, probably about two months. Wow. And then um, at her dad's house, you know, he he had a bar, you know, in, in, on the other side of the house. And um, when he was at work, I was sneaking and take drinks. Wow. Um, I was sneaking, walk to the store and, 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 get, and get vodka. And I've never really said this to anybody. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so... Um, he's one of those guys and the people around you, you know, people that don't understand addiction, they take it very personal mm -hmm. when you have exhibit these, you know, these, 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 these behaviors. Yeah. Um, he thought that because he gave me everything and because I lived in this beautiful house and we had this beautiful daughter and, um, 
he proposed and we were supposed to get married. He thought all of those things would 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 make me not, you know, exhibit those behaviors. He took it very personal, and I and I feel like he's still angry about it to this day. Mm. Um, but um, he feels like I chose alcohol over our family. Wow. wow. And in layman's terms, yeah, wow. I did. It's deeper than that. It but, is. You know, he's one of those people that feels like you're supposed to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Responsibility is supposed to negate all of those things that, um, you know, all, all those uh, those those behaviors that you have as an addict. And they don't. So I didn't get sober until Nadia was about, what was she, like four or five? Wow. Four or five. So when she turned... I, we broke up. I moved out of the. I moved out of the house. I moved into a little apartment mm-hmm. on Section Eight mm-hmm. in uh, in Montgomery County, and um, those were some hard years. Yeah. Those were some hard years. So you know, he came to my house one day to pick up Nadia, and she was about maybe about one, two, maybe one or two years old. Mm-hmm. I was still using, I was trying to go to real estate school. I, you know, you, you know, because it's always in us, Connie, to, yeah. to try to do something to better our life. Oh, yeah. But the addiction doesn't let us. Mm-hmm. So we're doing more than most addicts, mm-hmm. but we're not doing what we're supposed to, we're not doing, right. living up to our full potential because we're still in active addiction. Mm-hmm. So over my house one day, I had cocaine on the, on the top of the TV or something like that. You know, Nadia's running around the room. Um, I'm, I'm pretty much a mess. I'm pretty much my, my, at my lowest. And then having her mm-hmm. was, you know, postpartum went on for, for a couple wow. of years. Oh. Um, so it wasn't the best environment for her. Yeah. So it, I did one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life, and that sent her to live with her dad. Mm-hmm. So, and that was hard for him too. And I understand that years later that he, he was a young man. He was, you know, um, I think when we had her, he was maybe 28. I was 30 when I had her. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was trying to build his business. He was had a lot going on, but he had to take this baby. Yeah, yeah. Um, his, he had his mom and, and people like that to help him out. But I knew she'd be better off with him. Mm-hmm. Um, the the blackouts never never left. Um, you know, things were things were happening where I felt like I was going to be a danger to her. Yeah. My, my, my lifestyle was going to be putting her in danger. So I had to let my ego, you know, to the side. And I, I sent her to live with her dad. She stayed with her dad um, for a long time. Yeah. And I got over in 2012. The thing that made me go to rehab. So she wasn't with me for like, what, maybe four years after that, after mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I can get her on hands. Um, you know, mostly every weekend I would get her. I will say that for myself. I did. And it, it killed me. It, because like I said before, the party had been over for a long time. Mm-hmm. So at this point, it was like physical addiction. Yes. So, yes. you know, <laughs> I tried my best to, 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 to keep her in my life. And it was excruciatingly it was excruciatingly hard to think about so it's easy to kind of stay in your addiction when you don't have a kid right but if you have any 
any sort of emotional connection to your child, which most most mothers do, yeah. um, it's um, painful that you're separated from the, the child. So it makes the addiction even more pathetic yeah. because at this point, you're not part, you can't party with anybody. You're crying about your kid the entire time you're, you're using. Mm. It's, 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 it's actually like a, it's, it's like, it's kind of like a hell, a living hell yeah, yeah. because you need to, you want to get high. You want to get drunk. It's not fun anymore. Mm-hmm. And you're, and you're dealing with the guilt of not, having your child yeah and also and so i was also dealing with the the guilt of not having her missing her um feeling like a failure Mm. um as a as a human being as a mother um i'm I'm hitting all angles on on feeling like a failure so um by the time i got sober I had been, and I'm going to tell you the exact day that I decided to get sober. I, okay, now at this point I had lost my car. Mm. I didn't have a car. I was on Section 8. I was hanging out with derelicts. I mean, people that, that I wouldn't even, I would have never been seen with in my former, in my former life. I was like, uh, what do you call, what was that movie with um, Chris Rock? And Halle Berry, when she said, I used to be the prom queen. Yes. <laughs> oh my God, but I know what you're talking about. Yes, yes. That was my life at that point. And it was like stories of back in the day, and I could have did this. And, you know, I'm regretting not being with her dad. And, you know, he looked at me, he to, the way he used to look at me when he saw me with disgust. Yeah. And, you know, it, it was like, I don't want to be this anymore. Like I don't, I don't like what I turned into, yeah. and I don't want to stick with ego or vanity that 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 helped me to get sober. But I was tired of embarrassing myself. Mm-hmm. I was tired of I didn't want to be looked at that way, the way that I knew people were looking at me. Um, and and I'm and I'm talking about people that I respected and, and people that I. That 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 I thought were lower on the totem pole than I was, you know. It, it was just it got to the point where, and then I knew this one last night when um I was at a friend of mine's house and I wanted some I wanted some some drugs mm-hmm. I wanted some drugs I wanted some drink mm-hmm. and I had like ten dollars ten dollars in my pocket mm-hmm. get out of the car barely had a bed at my apartment. I mean, because by this time I had lost my diamonds. I had lost, I had lost my nice watches. You know, you lose things when you get drunk. You lose things. You don't just lose things. You actually lose things. (laughs) You lose cell phones, you lose jewelry, you lose, you lose these things or people steal them from you. Yeah. Right. (laughs) That too. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So diamond earrings, all my jewelry was gone. Like my my nice Lexus, my nice apartment, my you know my 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 fur coats, my little my, you know my shoes were starting to look worn down. You know, um. So I that one day I said I can't afford I can't afford to get anything, and all the dealers were gone. You know the dealers they come around and they give you free stuff when mm-hmm. you're cute and when you're partying and this and this and that. But you know, when you when you get to the bottom of your addiction, yeah. no one gives you free shit anymore. Mm. Excuse my language. Mm-hmm. 
but I knew I was gonna have to buy it. Right. And I swear, I swear to God, that day when I knew I could not afford to get what I wanted, mm-hmm. I knew what the next step was gonna be. That I was gonna probably have to yeah. sleep with someone or yeah. something like that. Yeah. And that's what changed everything. My friend Carla came over my house. I caught she called me. I was talking to her because of course people were concerned. People yeah. were still concerned. I wasn't that far gone where, you know, my circle wasn't concerned. They would call me, they would try to talk to me. But she called me that day. She talked, I talked to her that day. And she came over to my house mm-hmm. and we looked at the back of that card, that 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 medical Medicaid card, mm-hmm. and called that number on the back of the card for substance abuse hotline. Wow. And I got a bed. I had the I had to wait maybe three days, longest three days of my life. Yeah, I would imagine. And then the day that I was going to rehab, it was um the boyfriend that I had at the time. Um, and my sister, they drove me to rehab. Wow. Um, and I cried. Yeah. I cried for a a long time. Like it was, I don't know what it was. I still don't really know what it was. Something about, I I knew I was going to get better. I knew I was going to a better place, but it was hard. And I, I, and I I stayed there. They sat with me. I stayed, I, I checked myself in. And uh, they worked on me. I worked on myself really hard in rehab. And I, they actually extended my stay for uh, seven days. You, you, rehab is not 30 days. People think rehab is 30 days. Mm-hmm. But when you're, when you're on state, state assistance, I think it's like 21. Yeah, it like is. 21 days. It is. My dad went through it. It is. It's 21. Yeah. 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 So they extended it out. It ended up being like 28 days or 30 days. And uh, we worked on it. We worked on my, I worked on myself hard. My, my, my you know, Nadia's dad, he still, she still didn't, still didn't bring her to see me. And I, of course, I had been to jail a couple times over the years mm-hmm. and he never brought her to see me in jail. And I understand why now. Yeah. And I'm kind of glad he didn't. But when I got sober, when I left out of there, um, they tried to give me back my cell phone. I said, keep it. Wow. And all my pictures of us, you know, being drunk and high. And I said, keep, keep it. All my old contacts, I keep it. Good. And, um, I, I went home and I went to culinary school. And the, the, the restaurant that I was at, they gave me my job back. I went to culinary school and uh, went to meetings. Not as many as they say. Everybody doesn't need AA. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to them. A couple of times here and there, but I never did that 90 and 90 thing. Um, I went to an outpatient um, facility at a hospital um, where I met with like a, a counselor and, and we had group sessions, but I never followed the AA protocol. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I never, I never, I never relapsed. Never. By the grace of God, yeah. I never relapsed. Yeah. So that was in 2012 when I got out of there. And I never looked back. My daughter doesn't remember me in active addiction. She doesn't remember anything. She doesn't remember that part of my life at all. Mm. And I was, when I didn't get sober for her, but I knew she would benefit me getting sober. Yeah. But I yeah. got sober for myself. Mm. And I think that's the key to staying sober. Yeah. That is- talking to God. You got to talk to God the entire time. You got to ask him to take 
that take that craving away from you. Take the craving for the drug, alcohol. Take that's you be specific. Yes. Yes. Specific. I said, take the taste for alcohol and drugs away from me. Yeah. Please. Yeah. Please. Let me tell you something. That was my exact words to God. Mm. I said, take the taste out of my mouth, Mm. out of my heart. And out of my mind, I I want to jump through this door on Zoom right now because you have got to be specific when you want what yes. you want and you mean that you want what you mm-hmm. want. See, for me, when I'm listening to your story, when you said when you came out of that rehab and they offered you back your phone and you said keep it, they offered you back mm-hmm. your personal belongings because that's really what they yeah. were, right? <laughs> and and you said keep it. That mm-hmm. right there said enough. And I know they knew that. I know for sure they said she ain't coming back. It is a made up, it is a made up mind. But when you think like, oh, well, I could just dabble a little bit. Let me just reminisce on where I used to be. You don't need to reminisce there. There's nothing there for you. So yes, it is those little things. It's that, it's that that thinking, like yeah. I I've got to do this. I've got to make a way, right? <laughs> and and knowing that my attachment to my friends or old lifestyle and bad habits and choices, knowing that if I even get a glimpse, that's why your your eyes and your ears and your mouth are the segue to they, they, the gateway, excuse me, to your yeah. soul. There's a gateway to your soul. That's why you got to be so that's careful and right. what you see, what you hear and what you listen that's like right. even social media, honey, I don't play that. Like I'm protecting your life. You have to. This is not just about Let's go into this. How did you establish yourself as a boss? Like, how did you even, you know, tap into your purpose to design this life now for yourself? Well, when I went, when I got, when I got out of rehab and I went back to uh, the job that I had right before I left, um, um, it was at a restaurant. I always like to cook. Um, those are what that's some of the, the, my that's I think it's some of the talent I got from my parents. They were they were great cooks, my dad and my mom. Mm. And um, I always cooked for my brothers and sisters because I was always in like a, a motherly role towards to them. Um, not the best mother, but I was always a nurturer to them and in, in, in you know the, as best I could be. Right. So I was always cooking. So it came pretty natural to me. And um, I got the opportunity when I was at that restaurant to be become a line cook and then a, a, then, a then like a prep cook. So I learned how to cook in batches. And then I wanted to, I didn't want to just do that though. I wanted to end up, I wanted to be a boss at a restaurant. So I wanted to be a sous chef or uh, an executive chef. And I noticed that the executive chef, um, all the executive chefs that I, I ran into in that in that um, in the restaurant industry, they had all went to school. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were all certified. So I was like, I'm going to go to school. So I went to school, and that took up a lot of my time. So when you get sober, you need things to take up your time. You need mm-hmm. things to take up those spaces. So you yeah. want because the first year of getting sober is is kind of like the hardest year. It is. Um, it is. <laughs> it is. Yeah, like trying to put your life together, start thinking of thinking of things as an adult. You know, yeah. try. It's it's very difficult to feel emotions that you haven't that you've suppressed for all of these years. Yes. So you have to find things to focus on that are 
healthy somewhat. Um, and, and that's one of the things I found, school. I had time. I had time. I hadn't established a, really an adult life at all. I mean, what did I have? Like, I had an apartment. That's probably about the most adult bill that I had. <laughs> right. And the, and the state was paying for, like, half my rent. So I had time. Right. <laughs> so I went to school. And I went to school. And, and, I, and I got my daughter every weekend. And I filled those spaces. Um, I went to school. I went to work. I, I had my daughter on the weekend. I, I wash, rinse, and repeat one day at a time. That's one thing AA um, is good for. It, it, it really is one day at a time. And next thing you know, you look around and you're 30 days in, you're a year in, you're, yeah. you're two years in, you're three years in. But yeah, I went to school and um, I did really well there. Um, I thought that... I didn't know that I was a great cook, mm. um, but I noticed I started standing out from the other students. Wow! And um, and they were younger than me, because mm. I, I was a little bit older than everyone, so I was more serious about it than they yeah. were. And yeah. and I had time to make up for. That's another big thing. When you know how I said God gives you back those things that you lost yes. in your addiction. Yes. Yes, He gives them back to you, but you have to work twice. Sometimes twice as hard. Oh yeah, and it doesn't feel fair. Oh yeah, it's like but you have to make up for those years. Yes, that you that you, that you squandered. There you go. <laughs> yes, love it. Love so that word. I did. I got to work. I hustled, hustled, hustled. I caught the train. I got a little raggedy Benz. I was driving a raggedy little BMW because I, I you know, I'm still, I was still bougie in my head. So, you know, I still had this. I had to have some level of nice, you know, luxury. So I had my little bin. I drove it back and forth. Uh, my, my BMW drove it back and forth to school. Finally graduated. Um, made some contacts while I was in school. Used those. Got out of school. Went straight into a sous chef position. And I worked as a line cook the whole time I was in school. Worked Nadia school. Worked Nadia school for three years. Uh, and going all, all the way out to Virginia. It was hard. It was wow. hard. Um, and um, I, I got out. I became a sous chef with a new restaurant in Adams Morgan. Um, worked there um, as a sous chef. The next job I went into was an executive sous chef. The next job, and I just kept trying to, to, to beat the past, the last job, beat the last job. And I thought I was going to end up being an executive chef, which I did. I got to be an executive chef at a couple of restaurants. And then the pandemic, so every so, you know, fast forward into my career. Um, uh, the last job I was at was a was a was a really um, one of the best restaurants in the, in, in in the industry. Wow! And um, then the pandemic came, and so I, but but I I was used to being a boss at that point. Mm -hmm. So um, when the pandemic came, they they furloughed the last managers, so I was one of the last the last uh, managers to be hired at at, at that restaurant, and um, uh, we, I was like, what do I do? What am I gonna do? Mm -hmm. um, so I was like, you know what? The the name I came up with in in culinary school for my company in in in, in uh, 
in school, you, we had to do something called a capstone. It's like a senior thesis kind of thing. Ah. And mine was off menu catering. Um, it was a catering company. It was a mock catering company that I set up to, to graduate. That was the, the name of the company. Um, I set up the vendors. I did all of these things and I ended up getting like a, a B on it, something like that. Wow. So I was like, uh, I know what I'm going to name my company. Off menu catering. Got an LLC and hit the ground running, posted it on social media. People just started buying plates for me, right and left. And then that went on for a couple years, plates, caterings here and there. And in the last year, this is my third year, in the last year, um, it's mostly catering now. It's, wow. it's pretty much all catering. Um, so I just did a huge event on Saturday. Uh, it's the, it's, that was the pinnacle of my career thus far. Wow. Running my own company. It was a hundred guests, um, a formal past or derbs party. And I, and I pulled it off with my team. It was, it was amazing. Oh my and goodness. This is my, this is my logo. Oh my gosh, you guys. Oh my gosh. I love it. I love it. Yes, he is. I tell you, there's so much waiting on the other side, you guys. Mm. If you just are willing to fight for your life, because that's what it is. It's a fight. It's a Bought fight. A house. <laughs> a house. We're from Section 8 to buying a house. Wow. Well, I bought my house in 2000, in 2018. I never thought I was going to buy a house. Yeah. I never thought I was going to, I never thought I was going to be off of Section 8, but I knew, I knew something. I, I wasn't exactly sure what was waiting on the other side. Right. And you kind of have to let go of this idea you have in your head of what normal people are doing. Yeah. Because I was up on that for a while too i want to be like a normal person i want to do this i want to do this conventional this conventional way i want you know i want to do listen we're all a little strange or we wouldn't have been in the predicament that we were in normal normies don't <laughs> we're, but we're special and we're beautiful and we're strange spirits and we're um, you know, we, we're these etherical beings. We're special people. And I love it. it. A bunch of us out here that are willing to help you. And, you know, we felt weird and strange and, and, and unique all of our lives. Yes, and yes. We were discredited for it and we were teased for it and oh, we were bullied man. about it. But we were so special and there was no one out here that understood us or wanted to cultivate um, our beauty. And that's one of the biggest reasons that we wanted to escape this world. Yeah. So don't do it. You don't have to do it their way. You don't. Right. Um, there's a way that you're going to do this and you're going to find, you're going to figure it out. And, and there's a whole beautiful world waiting for you on the other side of it that, um, that's gonna, you know, appreciate your, your uniqueness. <laughs> 
Girl, I love you. I really do. I, I thank God that we had this time because I'm telling you, you're dropping bombs. I gotta we're gonna have to talk more off the podcast because she doesn't even know the things as she's talking and my wheels are just turning like, okay, there was a reason why she had to be on this podcast. So if you could give any advice to the audience members, what would it be? What final thoughts, what would you say? The biggest advice that I have for somebody that's that's either in active addiction or early recovery is you have to forgive yourself. Mm. You have to forgive yourself for what you did when you were using. And I don't care what anybody says that doesn't understand addiction when they say that it's it's a part of who you are, it's, your, it's, it's a part of your characteristics as a person is not. That's right. It, it's a disease, it's a deadly altering disease. It alters who you are as a, as a person. So you're going to have memories from your addiction. You're going to have memories from things that you did. But don't ever, don't ever, you know, uh, think that that is you that's, that's who right. you are um you're gonna find your way back to yourself yeah but you have to stop drinking you have to stop doing drugs to find that so find yourself yeah. you have to yeah so that's probably my biggest my biggest um um directive okay. about this um you have to stop you have to stop and find your way back to yourself and i'm telling you that person, that person that needed to escape this this world with drugs and alcohol, you'll find new ways to deal with it. And there's a whole bunch of people out here that are just like you that are willing to that are that are going to embrace you and love you and respect you and 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 help you be the best version of yourself sober. And it's happiness out here to be found. Yeah without escaping you'll find you'll find your way you'll find like humor and and happiness and 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 these and and, and love and and all these things that you wanted you'll find them but you won't find them where you thought you would find them mm-hmm. you have to look in another place look in other places mm-hmm. y'all know what i mean you understand yeah you got i love it i love it come on now <laughs> Well, I want to thank you so much for being here. Uh, please drop your website. Listen, somebody might need some catering services. Drop your website, honey, or how they can access you. Your phone number. I don't care. Drop some information. <laughs> um, find me on so on social media. If you want to talk sobriety, um, go to my page. It is called "Is Rabia Got Sober." And then there's like an underscore, a two, an underscore, and then 2012, I think is the rest of it. Yes. <laughs> okay. 2012. Uh-huh. You'll find me, go on Connie's page, you'll see me on her page. I'm going to drop the information. Talk food, um, off-menu catering. Off-menu catering. All right, I'm going to drop, all that information is going to be in the show notes anyway, but um, absolutely. I am so grateful that you took out time from your busy schedule to be here Mm -hmm. and share your journey of no longer pain, but purpose. And that's what I always love to tell my audience, my clients. I tell you this because I've lived it and Mm -hmm. the Queens that I bring on, they have as well. So we're the same. 
The only difference yeah. is, you know, we made a choice sooner than you did, but it doesn't mean that you yes, can't. That's it. You can't, that's it. right? So you breathe the same air as we do. I'm no better than you. Please, she's <laughs> no better than you. Understand there is a big future waiting for you. God is for you, never against you. All right. So I just want to say thank you so much for being here. Know that I love you, but God loves you far more than I could. Thank you could. so much. <laughs> you are most welcome.